Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome back to the Warehouse Podcast. I'm Tyler. And I'm Eli. And we are without Jesse this week. Uh, Eli, have you and I just done the podcast together without Jesse? I actually don't think we have. I was trying to rack my brain and I thought maybe we had done it this year. There was something that came up, but I feel like we had gotten a text from Jesse saying he couldn't do it. And we were like, all right, let's just do it tomorrow or something like that. So I think this might be a first in uh, warehouse pod history. I think, I think, I think, um, yeah, it's just kind of a revolving door of Ginsburg brothers over the last <laughs> month. Uh, and I do apologize for my part in that, but <laughs> oh, you're good. Great. We're having fun. You're good. As long as we record an episode some way, somehow, and we churn out this, content for the the listeners that's what it's all about that's what the the people beast desires exactly exactly um but yeah i mean i think we got a lot of stuff to get into this week so i feel like we're gonna just need to dive into it um we're gonna talk some Orioles specific some league specific we are going to kind of pull that thread through from a couple weeks ago where we discussed the sticky stuff epidemic going on in baseball and how mlb has uh, reacted but first we're gonna talk Orioles stuff because it's been a rough week um, in Birdland here. The Orioles have not won a game since we last recorded an episode. They went 0-3 in Tampa Bay and then got swept in four games in Cleveland. And things are a little bit dire. Uh, Eli, you shared with us right before we started recording that the Orioles have now lost 19 games in a row on the road. Uh, and their last win was John Means's no-hitter, which seems kind of unbelievable. That feels like forever ago now. Yeah, it was a long time ago. And kind of the irony in all of this is that the Diamondbacks lost 10 to 3 today to the San Francisco Giants on the road. And they have not won a game on the road since Madison Bumgarner threw seven no hit innings. So there's Mm. this eerie parallel. um, (laughs) And, you know, we, uh, it seems like not too long ago at the beginning of the season when the Orioles, for whatever reason, could not win a game at home and were substantially better road, like road warriors. Mm -hmm. And now, you know, the realization is kind of setting in that we just kind of generally suck. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. (laughs) Yeah. So uh, it's uh, upsetting. (laughs) It is upsetting. And I I just said to you before we started as well, I'd seen someone tweet that you know, the, the Orioles still do have a better record overall than the Diamondbacks. Clearly, the Diamondbacks are on a bit of a losing streak themselves. And somehow, somehow the Diamondbacks are worse than the Orioles. It almost seems impossible. And I think that, you know, as bad as the Orioles were earlier this year when they had, what, like a 14 or a 15 game losing streak overall. Right now, as we record it, they're on an eight game losing streak. This losing streak feels worse, I think, because the Orioles just seem like they're not even in the same league as the opposition on the field i don't know do you feel similarly yeah i you know we had some competitive games and i i remember a brandon hyde quote in the middle of that 14 game losing streak where he said something like you know our guys have a lot of fight you know we were scoring runs in the ninth innings you know just things were generally happening and this time it's just like terrible terrible play all around um, I had seen one stat that I have 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 to bring up. Um, it was tweeted out by Joe Trezza earlier, and he threw out Matt Harvey with a 7.76 ERA and Jorge Lopez with a 5.95 ERA should rank last among the ERA um, uh, amongst pitchers, except they are going so short into games that they don't even qualify despite, you know, taking every turn in the rotation that they've been given. It's, I mean, they're pitching terribly. They're pitching terribly for incredibly short periods of time. The Orioles defense sucks. We're going to talk about that. And we, you know, we're like hitting the ball. Okay. Um, but it's just not enough. It's not enough what I've started to see is it's kind of reached a fever pitch online. At least, you know, we try to keep tabs on, 
the the chatter on Twitter and things like that. And I feel like the fan base is getting a little restless at this point. Yeah. Um, you've seen some people kind of turn on Mike Elias. I think that's probably an extreme portion of the fan base, but in general, um, there does seem to be a lot of people kind of like they're reaching the point of embarrassment with watching the right. team where it's like, look, we know we're in a rebuild, but the game should be some like, this is an entertainment product at the end of the day, you need to be providing some sort of value to your customers uh, every, every night of the week, because there was a Baltimore sun article, I think a week or two ago about like, Oh, Orioles have lifted restrictions at Camden yards for the first time in a year, but fans aren't flocking back. And it's like, well, yeah, they're the product is unwatchable right now, essentially right, right now. Um, the, the defense has been especially difficult to watch. This Cleveland series was horrific. I think they made the one ser- one game. They made two really bad errors. Uh, then they made four errors. It's just been a calamity. Stevie Wilkerson had a really rough series. Pedro Severino's had an issue with pass balls. Like, I I mean, what do you make of the defensive issues? Because, you know, a a lot of times the Orioles lose games because they're less talented than the other team. That's going to happen. But when you're dropping pop-ups, you're missing your pass balls. I mean, these are kind of like inexcusable. I don't know if you want to say lack of effort, but just sort of like lack of focus or something is going on there. So what do you make of of the defensive issues that are occurring at the moment? Yeah. Part of what I make of it is I I think that this is a team that this is, that's really just down in the slumps, you know, and it's, Mm -hmm. it's not just like the team is slumping. It's like, I think morale is low. I think that, you know, this was the first year that we were all kind of expecting to start seeing a little progress, you know, and we've seen some of the key guys really struggling. You know, Mountcastle started off the year brutally. Uh, we've seen Austin Hayes just cannot stay healthy. We've seen the starting pitching even probably worse than we expected it to be, <laughs> if that's even possible. <laughs> um, we've seen the bullpen kind of shaky. And, you know, I'm not sure I blame the bullpen for that. I blame more the starting pitching and uh-huh. the fact they've been overworked and overexposed. Um and just kind of on every facet of the game, this Orioles team is struggling. And so I think that when that just happens so consistently, you start to fall apart a little bit. And it's going to take, you know, like the veteran leadership from guys like Mancini. It's going to take Brandon Hyde really pulling the team together. Uh, it, we just need to kind of regroup. I, I think that it's when it rains, it pours. And that's exactly what's happening right now. Yeah. You know, I I totally agree with that. It's just sort of one of those things that it starts piling on and, you know, there is momentum in baseball. I think at the end of 162 games, you're going to see who's the best and who's the worst and all that stuff. But like uh, we just kind of mentioned the losses sort of come in, in clumps, it seems like, and that's where the Orioles are at the moment. But I do kind of think that there might be some changes in order. Uh, Stevie Wilkerson's latest struggles have kind of coincided with Jemai Jones getting pretty hot down in Norfolk. He's healthy again. Um, I think something might happen there just because, you know, there's certain prospects with the Orioles. You don't want to rush, you know, let Grayson Rodriguez figure stuff out. Let Adley Rutschman figure stuff out. Jemai Jones is a little more experienced. He played in the big leagues for a brief amount of time last year. I think that's a logical step to make here. So that's sort of the one I've seen picking up a lot of steam online is Jemai Jones to get promoted sometime soon. Uh, What would you think if the Orioles did that, say, in the next week or 10 days? Yeah, I would love to see it. You know, he uh, had the injury at the beginning of the year. Everyone kind of expected him to compete for a utility spot. Then he got injured. You know, we DFA'd Ruiz. Wilkerson came up and everyone was like, yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> um, I, I think, yeah, I think it's time to give Jemai Jones a chance. Uh, and like you said, he has been hot. He's somebody who does bring the versatility that Stevie Wilkerson has. He's got a little bit more potential with the bat. Um I'm excited to see him. And I think just, as you said, like 10 days is probably the time frame that it'll happen. Yeah. I'm, I'm interested. You know, you can only glean so much from a box score. He's hitting the ball. Great. I think he's ha- hitting like three fifteen or something on the season. I, I can't, I'm not sure if that's totally right, but he's doing well in this past week. He's been really good. The thing I, with him, I guess I worry about a little bit is the glove work. Uh, he was an infielder in high school before he was drafted. And after he was drafted, the angels had him, um, entirely as an outfielder. And then they started to get him back into the second base routine the last year or so. So you wonder if the glove is lagging a little bit behind playing second base and, you know, 
you want that to be there when he's coming up. Obviously, we're having defensive issues as it is. You don't want a young player to come up and have to kind of absorb that. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, the Orioles need a shot in the arm. The pitching issue is a whole other thing. I don't know who's really ready to kind of step up and take that spot from Harvey. Keegan Aiken looked better recently. So I'm wondering if when John Means gets healthy, that's it for Harvey. Um, Alex Wells has looked better at Norfolk, but the pitching is, yeah, the pitching's got to get better too. And I, and I don't necessarily have um, a solution for the pitching woes. I don't know if you've got anything in mind there. Yeah. I, I really have nothing. And, you know, that's a difficult thing to say. You know, the one thing that we had kind of been able to tout through the early part of the season was like, oh, you know, well, the Orioles have a bunch of like quadruple A depth, you know, those guys who we can bring up can fill in some time. And it's like, well, we've been cycling them through and they're just not doing that great. Um, You know, Wells hasn't seen any time and, you know, Mike Bauman had the injury early on. So he's probably not quite fully up to speed. Um, so it, yeah, we're just kind of running out of options and I don't think that, uh, yeah, I don't think that there's a remedy. And so I think we are, we are sitting here with our fingers crossed, <laughs> hoping for something to just kind of get better for whatever reason. Um, but I think that one thing that should be said with the pitching struggles is you mentioned Severino earlier. Uh, he is an absolute liability behind the plate. And, you know, pitchers, when you don't have the best stuff, need to have the confidence to move outside the zone with your pitches, you know, to try to entice somebody to chase. And the fact that he can't catch a fastball down the middle does not inspire confidence, you know? Yeah. Right. I mean, it goes back to just like the basics. Like these are the things you learn right when you're starting baseball and the Orioles. I mean, clearly we're playing at another level, guys throwing 95 miles an hour, but yeah. It's just unacceptable. I think, you, you know, maybe we'll start to see Austin wins kind of get the lion's share of the innings back there. You know, besides that though, it becomes, what else do you do? Adley Rutschman clearly is the most talented catcher in the organization, but are the Orioles ready to pull that trigger there? He's hitting the, the cover off the ball in double a, I don't know. I think this year might be a little too early to do it, but I, I wouldn't blame him if they did. Yeah. I think that Adley is probably, I mean, with the way that he's going, I mean, he has been hitting the crap out of the ball. His batting average is almost up to 300. Um, going to look at it now. Yeah, yeah, 295, 431, 561, triple slash. Yeah, and he's work. tearing the cover off the ball. <laughs> um, so, you, you know, advanced prospects can, you know, spend a year at AA, come up as a September call-up or something like that. I'm going to hold out hope for it. I think that the Orioles will only get exciting in September and potentially because of one or two, maybe big call-ups. Yeah, no, I think a lot of people would love to see it. It would definitely kind of provide an injection in the arm down the, down the stretch that again, I'm all for it. I want the players that are ready to play in the big leagues to be up when they're ready to play and you sign them to extensions. If you want to keep them around and if not, you let them go make their money elsewhere. So yeah, I would be all on board for that. Um, yeah, I mean, that's about it. They're, you know, the Orioles are just bad right now. There's not a whole lot to say um, about the current state of play. It's just re- been really poor, and it's the same stuff that's plagued them. I think the defense this week has been the new thing that was just so awful that was it was shocking. Um, and, you know, you, you just, just hopefully it gets better. I, you know, we don't have solutions. <laughs> I'm sorry to say. The pitching has been a problem all year. There's no obvious solution there. And then as far as defense, you just got to – you got to play better. There's no gold glovers on this team apart from Cedric Mullins, possibly in center field. So you knew it was going to be rough, but this week was just um, exceptionally bad. Yeah. Every week we've been able to come in here and just kind of point to something like, Oh, you know, Mount Castle has been struggling in the infield or in the outfield, but you know, we'll move him in. We'll slot in Austin Hayes, you know, we'll like DJ Stewart can still get some DH at bats, you know, and there's just always been something that we could say will make things better a little bit. At this point, <laughs> I think you just got to accept the fact that <laughs> this team is struggling. Um, we yeah. are abysmally bad and need to make our peace with that. Yeah, absolutely. There'll be better weeks. Last The week prior to this one was decent. Maybe next week will be good, although, you know, we'll get to what the games are this week and they don't look too promising. (laughs) It looks like a rough, rough slate of games, but uh, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, uh, Elsewhere, uh, with the current state of the Orioles, Mike Elias spoke to the media this week, which is 
you know, not the most common thing. And he actually talked about a couple topics, which we wanted to touch on here. The first was something that we saw pop up on social media earlier in the week uh, from a Twitter account called Advocates for Minor Leaguers. They are at MILB Advocates. They had a three tweet thread that um, I'll just read for you here. They say, we've just been told that multiple players on the Bowie Bay Sox are considering sleeping in the car in their cars beginning tomorrow night. The Bay Sox are the AA affiliate of the Baltimore Orioles. We're told that members of the Bay Sox will receive about $900 after taxes for their entire two-week homestand and are on their own for housing beginning tomorrow at 11 a.m. We're told that some players simply cannot afford to spend roughly 80% of their paycheck on the team hotel. And according to one player, quote, we don't know what to do. So he, Elias was asked about that, and his quote on that was, uh, I guess the, the, the person who asked him called it a report, and he goes, first of all, I saw the tweet. I wouldn't call it a report. It was a tweet with some reference to hearsay, and any information there was not accurate. I can assure you all our players in Bowie have accommodations, all of our players. I can't verify anything that was in there based on that. Um, goes on to say, you know, this is something that in the organization we, we're typically very proud of. Uh, we take care of our players. Um yada 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 stuff like that so you know we, we kind of talked about how minor leaguers are, are treated on the podcast a couple weeks ago the Orioles you know they got they got singled out in this tweet and if they if this was an issue with the Orioles they should be singled out in the tweet but this is something you see throughout minor league baseball major league baseball has uh, gone to congress to try to get laws passed to allow them to pay players less than minimum wage and they have accomplished that minor league right. baseball players are not paid minimum wage so this is not too surprising to hear um i don't know eli what your thoughts were when you saw this tweet and then maybe what um your thoughts were with elias's response here yeah i think that you know elias is in cya mode and we are a family-friendly podcast so i won't spell that out but this report comes out uh I have no reason to believe that it's false. Um, I, I, you know, I can attest that a lot of minor league baseball players make somewhere in the realm of $15,000 per season. Mm -hmm. um, and so when they talk about $900 over the course of a two week homestand, you talk about, you know, that's a 14 day stay in the hotel, you know, the team hotel, but I know that's not covered. So you know, 15 grand over a six month season. That's about two grand, two grand a year or two grand a month. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. And, you know, then you take taxes out of it and this is about a half a month. So that $900 estimate sounds pretty accurate. So if the team hotel is 50 bucks a night for this 14 day homestand, that's already 700 out of your $900 allotment for these two weeks. It, it's just not a sustainable income. Um, you know, these players are, you know, kind of the mystique about the minor leagues is it's this lovable grind and it's, you know, you put your nose to the grindstone and you suffer through so that you can get that big payday someday. And sure, the MLB, you know, minimum salary is 500 grand or so. That's wonderful. But 90% of these players in the minor leagues are making significantly, significantly less. And, you know, Michael Elias, I'm sure they've figured out a way to get people those accommodations these comments were after that re you know, report tweet, after that tweet had come out. Um, and so, you know, I'm sure they were trying to figure something out. I don't think that, you know, the Orioles organization inherently wants people sleeping in their cars or inherently right. wants people in these bad situations. But what they do want is they want to do the absolute minimum that will keep these guys happy. Um, so, you know, I believe they were working on some accommodations. They were trying to figure something out. Um, last month, you know, we were praising them for putting, putting people up, you know, giving mm -hmm. housing accommodations and Elias and co had said that they were trying to find host families for this year. So it's pot or for this month. So it is possible that they just hadn't found those host families and had not given the players any, you know, any indication of what they were going to be doing. And so the players had to consider these things, but you know, it goes, to, it just, all of it goes to show that these minor leaguers are, uh, they're afterthoughts for these major league teams. You know, if you are not one of the people who signed a six figure signing bonus, when you got drafted, it, you, you're just ignored largely. Yeah, that, yeah, exactly. And that's been the story for a while and extends past 
just housing. You know, it extends to, in general, their pay, but their the food they're provided before and after games, the facilities they have access to for improving themselves. You know, it just goes all the way up. And, you know, so the way this typically works, as far as I understand it with housing for minor leaguers, you know, pre-COVID was uh, teams would get host families in the in the towns where the minor league stadiums are. And then on the road, typically you're in a hotel and the team covers that 100 percent and you've got a per diem for food. So road trips are great as a minor leaguer. Yeah, you're on a bus all the time, but pretty much everything, all the money you're spending is coming out of the team's pocketbook, not yours. And at home, you're on your own. And then as far as like saying we're providing housing, typically I understand it is that the team will say, here's a place you can stay and we have rooms reserved at the Bay Sox rate or whatever. And it's going to be cheaper than Joe Schmo walking off the street to get a hotel, a room in the same hotel. But like to your point, the math you just did, it's eating out of their paycheck every time that they stay there out of, you know, that's the money they've got to use to pay other bills, their cell phone, their car, put gas in the car, feed themselves, you know, 900 bucks over two weeks, that goes really quick. And baseball has successfully developed a culture with these young players that they're just taught to, you know, just accept it. Like that's how it is. You don't get paid a bunch until you get to the show and suck it up. But this is also how it becomes sort of a culture of people that already are well off are more likely to get to the big leagues than people that are less well off. If you somehow grind your way to being a 10th round draft pick a senior sign, you get like a $5,000 signing bonus. And you're like, yeah, I'm going to grind it out for a year or two. Well, if you're getting paid 900 bucks a month and you've got to pay for your housing and all this stuff, eventually you're going to go, well, I can't afford to do this anymore. I want to start my life. I want to get a real career going. I want to have a house, a family, kids, whatever. You're going to drop out. But if you're somebody who either has a rich family or you got a $5 million signing bonus, even if you're scuffling, you're still going to try to to keep going, you know, so it just sort of weeds people out beyond just their ability on the field, but also, you know, what their bank account is looking like. So absolutely. It's just ridiculous. These teams have enough money to pay these guys, both pay these guys a livable wage and provide housing to them, or, you know, like just pay them a livable wage, pay them what it would cost or pay them enough to be able to afford to live somewhere and not have to think about it and worry about it for the entire season. Like it's, it's not, if you don't want to get into giving them a house for this, for the year or whatever, just give them more money. I don't know. I don't understand why it's so complicated. The fact that they have to think about this month to month, you know, like we were all happy that they did it last month, but now it's like, okay, you know, why is there not just one plan that can put these guys up for six months? You know, it's not even a full, like full year. You don't have to like sign a year long lease or something. Just you know either give them the funds to put themselves up for six months or just like get some houses for six months i mean you know like what what are there 30 guys per roster and we have four minor league teams 120 Mm -hmm. homes you can put six guys up in a house or not 120 homes 120 players six guys up in a house the orioles could buy 20 houses like that you know and (laughs) right right you know it's so simple Right. Yeah. I don't get it. Yeah. I'm not saying like, you know, they need to have like anything else that that is dealing in this realm of providing livable wages and housing to people. We're not advocating for them to each get a castle that they can live in, you know, just literally the bare minimum to be comfortable enough to not have to think about it when you're at work and trying to play professional sports and provide entertainment to people. It's just it's unreal. We've got to keep talking about it. But this is what you got to do. The squeaky wheel gets the grease when this type of stuff happens. You got to talk about it and hopefully the Orioles remedy it because the Orioles, you know, you got to give credit to them. Angelos is, has been, you know, a progressive guy for a long time. He should be, you know, I know the old man's not really in charge anymore, but they should live those values and be the team that kind of annoys the MLB about this. Be the, the, the change you want to see in the world. I would love for the Orioles to be that organization. That would be absolutely amazing. Um, all right, let, let's move on. Uh, Sticking in the minor leagues, uh, Heston Kerstad, the Orioles' top draft pick from last year, number two overall, has yet to play a professional baseball game uh, because of heart inflammation. Elias announced that Kerstad has currently been shut down because he is experiencing recurring heart inflammation, um, and there's no timetable currently for his return to the baseball field. This is obviously really upsetting news for Orioles fans, of course, but for Kerstad and his family to be dealing with something like this, you know, you're on the, 
the precipice of be, you're living your dream. And now it's being kind of the can is being kicked down the road for who knows how long. Um, you know, I, I don't really know how we want to go with this, Eli, but sort of what are your where's your mind at about Kerstad and his future uh, with the Orioles and in professional baseball? Yeah, I mean, it, he's obviously an exciting prospect. And, you know, there's the angle of what he means to the Orioles. You know, obviously, you've got a hit on your first round draft pick and all this stuff. But, you know, you, you're concerned for the guy like he's made his whole living being a well, not living. He was a college kid, but he's went through his whole life as a top athlete, you know, and now he's being shut down by something he really can't control. Um, So you just feel bad for the guy. Uh, You know, we were all optimistic when we heard that he was starting to come back and got added to the roster. And uh, it's just a shame to see. I feel bad for him and, you know, hope it uh, hope with some rest and relaxation that he can get back on the field. Yep. And like I I mentioned, uh, Elias didn't, say anything about sort of what the timeline is and, and didn't even guarantee it was going to happen this summer. So, you know, don't hold your breath there. Uh, Elias did kind of reference without saying his name, Eduardo Rodriguez, Red Sox pitcher who has heart had heart inflammation last year, missed all of the 2020 season and is now pitching with the Red Sox again. So could be a similar situation there where it's, it's a long kind of build up there. It could be over a year, but maybe Chris said gets back on the field, but of course his personal health is most important and whatever happens in baseball is secondary. And yeah, hopefully he can just get healthy and we'll, uh, we'll see him soon. Something else that uh, Elias spoke about this week was DL Hall. Nothing crazy going on there, but DL Hall, one of the Orioles' top pitching prospects, is experiencing soreness, more soreness than normal uh, in his left arm, in his behind his elbow and his bicep area. So he is being shut down for a few weeks. Uh, he did get an MRI that did not reveal any structural damage, but did show some inflammation. So the orders are going to be cautious there and he will be out of the buoy rotation uh, for a couple of weeks and then he'll build back up. So you might want to bank on maybe him being out for a month or so, but Eli, are you at all concerned about this? Does, does soreness in the bicep sound ominous to you or what are your thoughts? My biggest thought is that if DL Hall had a hangnail, the Orioles would shut him down for a month, right? (laughs) You you know, there is absolutely no reason to push this guy through any kind of discomfort. He's, you know, I think 22 years old now. That sounds right. I think he's 22 and he's throwing 100 miles an hour with a wipeout slider from the left side. So I am not like it. I'm not of the mindset that shutting him down, getting him some rest is an indication of the severity of the injury. I think it's just an abundance of caution. Uh, That being said, you know, some bicep tendonitis can be concerning. You you know, it's like your lower bicep is the closest muscle to that UCL, the famous Tommy John ligament. Um, Mm. And so when you get tension towards, you know, the lower bicep, you can sometimes start to see issues, but I'm, I'm not of the mindset that this is an indication of that. I think he's sore. I think the Orioles want to be super careful and are going to be that. Yep. That sounds right. The Orioles have been really conservative with their pitchers this year. And I think this is just a continuation of that. So hopefully that is correct. Something else the uh, Michael Elias talked about was Chris Davis. Big news here. Uh, Chris Davis is, has moved his rehab from Dallas where he lives during the off season to Baltimore. However, he is not much closer to playing baseball. He's not going to resume baseball activities until late August, or early September. And Elias confirmed Davis will not be playing in 2021, but sounds like maybe he could play in 2022 if the orders will have him back. Um, Eli, do you have any reaction <laughs> to the Chris Davis? <laughs> no reaction whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, nothing he's got, uh, I think they, they just said he had left hip labrum surgery and uh, he's moving to Baltimore so that the medical staff can work with him a little more closely. Um, and, and they're working on building up his range of motion and strength in his lower body. So that's that. Um, and then one last thing I actually noticed on here that they talked about was Brandon Hyde's contract situation. Apparently it's not publicly known what Brandon Hyde's contract situation is. And Michael Elias did not share that in this either, but it's believed that there's an option for the 2022 season However, Elias, like I said, wouldn't elaborate and basically just kind of put his weight behind Hyde to say, like, he's our guy. We support him and hopefully he's here when we start winning. Um, Do you buy that, Eli? (laughs) Uh, 
I, I don't necessarily think it's not their thought, but I think that's just what you say in right. the middle of a rough season. So I, I'm not putting any stake in it either way. I would agree. I mean, one, one thing I would say is I Brandon Hyde is very far down the pecking order in terms of who I blame for the <laughs> Orioles being bad this season. So, yeah, um, yeah. It, it is no fault of his own. <laughs> right, right. Um, okay. Uh, and then we want to do our silver lining of the week. Uh, Eli, you picked this out. Do you want to kind of present the silver lining of the week? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, so G rod Grayson Rodriguez made his first home start for double a Bowie. And, you know, the start itself was just kind of fine. He went four and two thirds, two earned runs struck out six, you know, that's okay. But (laughs) (laughs) he, the cool thing about it was the way that Orioles Twitter kind of came together for this. Uh, Rodriguez himself, DL Hall, um, Barstool's guy, RDT, uh, mm-hmm. all of them were shooting tweets back and forth and gas him up has kind of become the slogan unofficially of the Bowie Bay Sox. And it was a whole thing. We, you know, like retweeted a couple of things from our account. So you may have seen it there, but the Bowie Bay Sox actually created a gas can policy you know it was something they never really had thought about before but people were like can we bring empty gas cans to the field and they were like i mean sure you know <laughs> so clean gas can you know no uh, nothing in no it. flammables ever having been in it yeah and they were saying every time the grayson rodriguez struck somebody out they were all going to chug from their gas cans <laughs> you know <laughs> But, you know, a couple thousand people showed up. It was a pretty cool atmosphere. And, you know, that energy kind of pumped up Rodriguez. Clearly, he hit 103 on the stadium gun in the second inning, which Mm. I did not know he had that kind of velo. You know, we'd seen him touch triple digits, but that's obscene. (laughs) Um, Yeah, I wonder wonder how accurate that is. I'm sure he was hitting, touching triple digits, but 103 seems obscene. Yeah, Right. That that is why I said the stadium gun. It's not like (laughs) there's, you know, a pitch tracker directly behind him. It's the stadium gun. But um, I I don't know. Either way, you know, just there was clearly a lot of energy. And I thought that the Orioles, Orioles fans, the Orioles community has very little to get excited about these days. So, you know, seeing the minor league players interacting online, um, you know, seeing people come together and having this kind of cool event with the gas cans. I, I just loved it. And I thought it was worth mentioning. Yeah, it was pretty cool. I, I saw some photos from it and it seemed like a really good crowd, especially for a minor league game, you know, getting out to buoy can kind of be a little bit of a pain. You know, it's not the most convenient for me. It's definitely not convenient. I'm, I'm probably an hour away from there, but people were making some trek to go see Grayson Rodriguez pitch to Adley Rutschman you know that is the future of the organization so that was really cool two things on this though one are we going with G-Rod or is it Gray Rod for the nickname I've heard both okay yeah Hmm. it's tough we have to think about it say your second thing and then I'll give you an answer (laughs) okay and the second thing is while the gas them up thing is cool I do feel like if I brought a gas can to a baseball game I would be annoyed with it after a certain amount of time. Like I've got to keep track of this plastic thing the entire time. Is it just sitting on my lap? Is it under my legs? Like you got to think of the logistics here. And while it's cool, I might prefer like, I don't know, a t-shirt with a gas can on or something. Like I don't want to have a, a, um, what's the, I don't know what the word is, but uh, I don't want to carry a thing with me throughout a baseball game. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think that there's something to be said for, the novelty of drinking beer out of a gas can though. Uh Um, So I I could see that making things a little bit better. Mm -hmm. Um, I I could see, I don't know. I think if you tucked, you know, the larger part of the can beneath your seat and kind of pointed the nozzle forward between your legs Uh when you weren't using, you know, or holding it, I think that could be fine. Okay. Okay. I I think there's enough space under there. There's something there. There's something there. I mean, what I do, it's the creativity. You know, sometimes it does feel like the Orioles, you know, we've got because the organiz or the, the major league team has struggled so much. We don't always get as have as much fun or creative. So I do like it. I like the spirit right. of it. Right. I say, keep doing it. Keep bringing gas cans. I guess it's is it for when Grayson Rodriguez and D.L. Hall pitch? Is that the only yeah. ones? Who yeah, get it's it? the two okay. of them just because they throw really, really hard. OK, that's fair. 
No, yeah, it's it's really cool. It's very exciting. Rodriguez, like we talked about a couple weeks ago, top pitching prospect in uh, baseball according to Baseball America. So good times. Don't don't watch the Orioles, but go watch the Bay Sox. That's where it's at. So to to answer the first question, oh yeah, I think I'm on the side of G Rod. Okay, he's a G, you know, and I think you keep it as simple as that. Um, and there are no gray areas about it. Wow, is that a pun? See what I did there? Yeah, I do. I do see what you did there. (laughs) So that's that's it for Orioles specific news let's talk some more broad uh, major league news before we get out of here Uh, we talked with you a couple weeks ago Eli about sort of the sticky substance epidemic going on in baseball I think Jesse and I may have touched on it last week for a moment but we wanted to kind of get your input on it because you have a little more knowledge on it than we do so since we did the episode a couple weeks ago MLB has kind of come down on the foreign substances and now has a policy. I don't know if it's in place yet, but I think it's going to be in place here in the next couple of days. Uh, They've decided to penalize foreign substances and you can see the full report on ESPN.com. I think Jeff Passan um, did, uh, did some reporting here, but how it's going to break down is players applying foreign substances to the ball will be suspended 10 games with pay. Players will not be replaced on the active roster for those 10 games. So teams will essentially have to play a man down for that entire time. Umpires will conduct periodic checks on all starting and relief pitchers throughout games. And that should include multiple checks on the starting pitchers, provided they stay in the game long enough. Pitchers will be responsible for any substances found on catchers or position players. Rosin is still okay. And rosin bags will continue to be provided. However, rosin cannot be combined with anything, including sunscreen. And pitchers are being told not to wear sunscreen after sunset in outdoor stadiums and not at all in indoor stadiums. So before I get into how players are reacting, let's get how Eli is reacting <laughs> to that. That seems pretty restrictive, but what are your, what's kind of your take on how MLB has decided to enforce this new policy? Yeah. I think it's crazy. I think it's just outright crazy. I mean, you know, I, I agree, you know, a, as we've talked about before, you know, the spider tack and these super heavy duty mm-hmm. substances, something needs to be done about them, but just rolling out this like iron curtain in the middle of the season and mm-hmm. saying nothing is allowed anymore. And then, you know, putting the umpires up to regulating it, you know, just kind of enabling them when they haven't like been taught the differences between any of these substances. And, you know, uh, Trevor Bauer had a video and he brought up that point. And then, I I mean, the first thing that he said was he took a baseball and he like kind of pressed it against his palm and he just held it up in the air. And he said, is this illegal or not? And, you know, the anchors were like, oh, and he said, well, this is sweat and rosin and the ball is just sticking to my palm. You know, so I'm perfectly legal right now, but there is a sticky substance on my hand. Mm-hmm. And how do the umpires tell the difference with that? There is absolutely no way. And, you, you know, we've talked at, last time. It, he's just the most outspoken guy. So he always comes up in these conversations. But, you know, he makes a really valid point there is how are you actually able to determine what is a legal substance and what's not? You know, how do you determine if a pitcher is wearing sunscreen and it's like, you know, sundown was at 704, but now it's 708 and, you know, their arms are still a little slick, you know, do they need to go wipe it off? Um, One thing I did see was that, uh, or you mentioned the pitchers are responsible for any substances found on catchers or position players. And my first thought is a position player goes and hits with wads of pine tar on their bat. They field a ground ball, throw it across the infield, and there's pine tar on their hands. You know, now, is the pitcher responsible for the pine tar on that shortstop's hands because he bats with bare hands? You know, there are all these things that just have not been thought about, have clearly not been thought through. These are rules made by people who have never played the game of baseball. (laughs) And it's, yeah, it, it, you know, it's it's causing problems, I, I guess. I'll throw it back to you to talk about some of these player reactions, but some of the stuff is very tangible and, you know, you can immediately see the results on the field of people. I, I mean, you know, like they wanted to control spin rates. I think the average spin rate on a four seam fastball in the last like three days 
has gone down like 60 to 80 RPM. I saw a graph on Twitter today. Mm -hmm. uh, you, you, you know, so we're in this situation where it's this drastic immediate change to the game. And there was no thought to really how it would impact anything else except spin rates. Right. And that's, it's a problem. Is it? Yeah. It was handled awfully. When we saw today, Cedric Mullins, I think got hit in the head with a slider. Um, right. right. That, you know, that's, what's going to, you know, that, that can happen with those substances too, but it's going to happen more often because, you know, like I was kind of saying to you before we started recording, all MLB had to do here was say in the off season, go, Hey guys, teams, whoever, a representative from each team, the players association, whatever. Hey, we're, we've got an issue. We've got too many strikeouts. We're not scoring enough runs. We need the product to be entertaining. And right now we're, our understand our market research indicates it's not entertaining. We need to score more runs. So what we've noticed is there's an epidemic of sticky substances. Let's all talk. Let's figure out a way that we can, get the pitchers a substance that works for them with the baseballs we use and that hitters are okay with the pitchers using because there, there needs to be a fine, a balancing point here. And it could have been with consideration of the players and everybody involved. And then you can go to the public with it and say, Hey, here's what we've come. Here was a problem. And here's the solution. Instead, MLB has been completely reactive to it the entire time. And it makes the public think that, First, everybody is cheating, which according to reports, like 90% of pitchers using this, these different substances when talking to pitchers and hitters, it sounds like this is a common thing that most hitters don't even care about, but in the reporting, it, it still makes pitchers look bad. And, and now baseball in the middle of the season has come up with a new thing to change the game. So I guess what'll be interesting to watch is how offense changes between whenever this policy is enacted, I think it's in a couple days and the end of the season, because I would imagine there's going to be fewer strikeouts, more home runs and more hit by pitches in that time. Right. Yeah. I think that's exactly it. You know, you mentioned just being reactive and I think, you know, the MLB had obviously noticed the trend, but I think that when they came out this year and they saw that like average batting average in the two thirties, mm -hmm. then they like, were like, Oh my God, this is, this is obscene. What are we doing? You know, we got to figure this out. Right. And a bunch of, you know, people again who'd never played baseball put their heads together and came up with this boneheaded plan and again like you know i do agree that spider tech has no place in the game you know it gives people these ungodly abilities but you know pitchers need something as you said that cedric mullins you know getting hit like you throw a slider right and your fingers actually come in front of the ball Mm -hmm. Right. So you require like a little bit of grip with that ball to come around it and keep the ball coming with your fingers. Essentially, it, what happens if you lose that grip is the ball pops out the back of your hand and it, you know, goes to your arm side, which is exactly what happened. It, it's just, yeah, it's a mess. It is. Uh, and players are responding. Um, so here's a couple reactions. Well, the first one from Pete Alonzo actually came before this policy was announced, but uh, Pete Alonzo is fine with pitchers using substances. However, he has a conspiracy theory that Major League Baseball changes the baseball year to year based on the free agency class that's coming up. So when it's pitch mostly pitchers, mostly high profile pitchers, they'll make it so the ball flies out of ballparks. When it's mostly hitters, they'll deaden the ball. So it's more strikeouts and harder to get up in the air. Maybe we can touch on that in a second if you have thoughts there. Um, Tyler Glasnow recently hurt his UCL, and he straight up blamed this crackdown on it because it's changing how he grips the ball. And, you know, to simply put it, the way a lot of these pitchers put different movement on the ball is you put pressure on different parts of the ball, pair that with how you release the ball, and that's how you get the ball to move. So when you change how you need to grip the ball because of the lack of sticky stuff, that uh, impacts things. And, and Tyler Glasnow blames that for his injury, which Tyler Glasnow is one of the best pitchers in baseball. So that's a real shame. White Sox pitcher Carlos Radon questions the suspension uh, rule of it, the 10 games, while Astro players were given literally no penalty for the trash can scandal from a couple weeks ago. And uh, Sports Illustrated released a report uh, about a guy who was providing sticky stuff throughout the league. And he, uh, Garrett Cole and Max Scherzer were named in that report. So just some kind of various uh, outcomes here. But I think the Glasnow one really stands out because he straight up links my injury to this 
crackdown in sticky stuff. Do you think Glasnow's experience is is an anomaly or is that more the norm of what you think pitchers are, are going to experience here? I'll throw it back to that Bauer interview. He he explained this really well. And, you know, when you're, you know, when you're in the set position and you've got your ball or you've got your hand on the ball, you, you know, you're not gripping the heck out of it, but basically you start with your hand loose. And as you go through and accelerate your arm, you, you grip a little bit harder. You know, mm-hmm. that's when you start to impart the spin on that ball after you've started accelerating your arm. So basically the argument is that glass now you know, now because he has less grip on the ball, he's got to be squeezing harder from the beginning. And, you know, it's kind of talking about a, you know, ballistic stretch versus a static one, you know, muscles usually react pretty well to kind of ramping up. But if you are squeezing the ball and then accelerating your arm after you already have all that tension in there, that it, it definitely, you know, it's a really, really different type of loading throughout the course of your arm and throughout the course of that motion. So I think it's entirely valid to say I threw 80 something innings throwing hundred miles an hour, you know, with this nice loose fluid forearm that then, you know, grips and tightens as I accelerate in order to put some spin on the ball. And now having to be gripping from the beginning and having that tension the entire way through my motion, that causes a lot of problems. And, mm-hmm. you know, he's been, you know, his argument was not that we don't necessarily need these rules or this crackdown is totally bogus. His argument is that this should not have happened right now. Mm-hmm. You know, if you had given me time to figure out how to throw all these pitches in the off season, if you had said this, you know, as you said, Tyler, in the off season and given pitchers time to ramp up, and let their arm adjust to this sort of new type of loading on it, that's a totally different situation and it probably wouldn't cause injuries. But we're already coming off of a 60 game season. You know, workloads are going to be through the roof compared to last year. It's already led to a huge uptick in injuries. And now, you know, you're totally changing the way that half of these MLB rosters have to perform their job, right? It's just the most (laughs) it's it's confounding you know it's i'm i'm blown away by the lack of forethought that went into this um yeah and yeah you know like glass now throws 100 so he's obviously an extreme but he is an mlb pitcher you know and velocities are going up more and more these days so the differences between what will cause an injury and what won't are smaller just by you know the heightened velocity the heightened arm speed and just the incredible things that these guys are doing with the ball. Yeah. It's curious. Like what does Rob Manfred and his team or whatever, what, why do they think pitchers go to spring training two weeks earlier than the hitters? Like, why do you think they're there? They're that takes them a little while longer to ramp up for the season. And what they're doing is getting their, you know, their arm slot down, their grips down and they're learning the ball because the ball does change year to year. Like they, I'm sure they get the balls, a little early. I'm sure the players are able to get a case of balls sent to them in December or whatever and start working with it. But you know what you've got there in February when they get to Florida and Arizona, like that's the ball for the season. You're getting to know how the seams sit and all this stuff. And I'm sure the concoctions of the sticky stuff start then too, to be like, all right, here's what works best for my grip with this ball. And it's not all illegal, or I guess now it is technically illegal, but it's not all (laughs) stuff that's egregiously bad. You know what I mean? So yeah, now it's the middle of the season and these guys have to figure it out. You know, some guys will be all right. Some guys won't. And it's just going to be really, it's, it's just not good for the game. I think that, you know, I think all sports probably have their little secrets about things they do that the larger public doesn't know about and doesn't really care about. I, w- I would be shocked if the, if the average baseball fan even cared about the sticky stuff going on. I think, right. yeah, the average baseball fan I mean, fan they probably, definitely didn't before this. Right. Like, yeah, they, they, well, and the thing is that's frustrating is like baseball knew there was an issue with scoring runs or whatever, because they've talked about testing things in the minor leagues. They want to move the mound back or they want to, you know, move the bases around or something like they want to toy with all these things. They knew there was an issue there and they've been testing things like they've been doing the right things in my mind to be like, okay, we want to try some different stuff. 
So let's try it at the leagues that are lower stakes and see how it goes. And then with sticky stuff, they're just like, boom, immediately it's banned. Right. Figure it out. It's just, it's insane because it's always like one step forward, two steps back with like the decision makers in baseball. So it is just, it's just shocking. And, you know, hopefully you don't get more of this stuff that's happened with Glasnow. I mean, Glasnow has been a little bit fragile in his career too. So hopefully, you know, some guys it's, they're not as at big of a risk here, but yeah, it's frustrating and we'll see, we'll see. There's really nothing else to say. Um, What I I do think is interesting is Pete Alonzo's comment here, uh, (laughs) not really related to sticky stuff, but saying that he thinks baseball changes the, the physical baseball year to year based on the free agent class class. I don't know if you got a chance to read into that too much, but do you have any initial thoughts on if that's actually happening? Yeah. So, I, I mean, what I can say is that it's something I had never thought about until he brought it up. Um, mm-hmm. But you know, what I can say is I can say that the MLB owns Rawlings, who is the exclusive provider of baseballs. Mm-hmm. So if the MLB wanted to do this, there's absolutely nothing stopping them. I mean, you know, there's no legislation that says you have to level the playing field from year to year within your own product. You know, that's not a law anywhere. They can do whatever they want with their product. The co- their company, Rawlings, can do whatever they want with their product. And there's absolutely a financial incentive to this year when there are a bunch of star-studded shortstops, Carlos Correa, Javier Baez, Trevor Story, to deaden the baseball a little bit, you know, when you are going to have Garrett Cole hit the free agent market, it makes a lot of sense to put a little juice into it, you know, um, and let some home runs be hit. I, I mean, so, you know, I'm not going to make an assessment one way or another, but I think it's entirely valid to question it. Uh, you know, there is nothing stopping them. They have the opportunity or I guess if we're going to go, if we're going to go the crime route, you know, they have <laughs> means, they have the motive, you know, right. and it, yeah, I, I think, I think it's a totally valid concern. And the fact that nobody's taken that angle before is kind of surprising to me. Um, and it was sort of funny because Alonzo, you know, is a, a, you know, he's somebody who is going to be set up very well either way, you know, he's going to make his mm-hmm. money hits 50 home runs a year, but he said it just so matter of factly, you know, he's like, no, this is not a theory. This is just what's happening. You know, they just do this every year. Um, Uh Very interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I'm kind of torn on it. I think it might be a little bit of, you know, echo chamber working on him. Like, you know, you're a professional baseball player. You talk to professional baseball players a lot. You kind of all get in the hive mindset of like, yeah, they're definitely do that doing would do that. And I agree. MLB would do something like that. I think the, the, the more realistic outcome I think is just that baseball always wants to tinker with stuff. And like, we just kind of mentioned, they know there's an issue with pace of play or offense in the game or whatever. And I think they constantly are messing with stuff And I think it's tough for them. You know, you can definitely take a ball into, you know, whatever physics lab you want and learn a little bit about it. But I think it's tough to totally replicate what a ball will do over a 162 game season. So, you know, I I think a couple of years ago they made some changes to it and it ended up flying out of ballparks way more than they expected to. Now they've got it to the point where it seems like, you know, this may be paired with the spin rate revolution and I don't know, maybe these substances have been like a perfect storm to make it really hard on hitters. You know, I, I think it'll bounce back and forth. I don't know if it's necessarily tied to who the incoming free agent class is because at the same time, like, okay, yeah, it's hitters this this uh, winter, but there's going to be pitchers playing who are going to be increasing their value and they don't become free agents for two years or whatever. So I think it's like a tough balancing act. Um, yeah. You know, but but no, I, I definitely don't put it past Major League Baseball to pull pull some nonsense behind the scenes. It's definitely something they would do. Yeah, uh, just kind of my finishing thought, not specifically to that, just to sticky substances, mm-hmm. and that I kind of mentioned it before this pod with you. But I, it, what makes me sad about the state of MLB is we're in a situation where I I think there is no major sports league anywhere across the world that comes anywhere close to the amount of just like you said tinkering you know and i think that 
it, you look, you, <laughs> the little man's crying. You look at the phrase, uh, if it ain't broke, don't fix it. it you know, w- we're in this situation where the MLB is just constantly trying to fix things. And it just feels like this unending admission that our game is not that great. It's like, you, you know, it's, if you love baseball, then just let baseball be, you know, go play baseball, watch baseball and appreciate baseball. But they're just constantly trying to change everything. And I think this kind of ties in with, you know, with the notion that these people never played baseball. And so they're concocting these ideas of what can make the game better. And they're not aware of the implications that these things have on the everyday play. I, it just like makes me sad to see it, that MLB is constantly in this state of, oh my God, everything's imploding. What are we going to do to fix it? You know, like we have, you know, Acuna Jr., Tatis, Guerrero Jr. Um, they're all juniors, actually. I keep forgetting that. <laughs> you know, we have these three phenomenal young guys. You've got Juan Soto. We've got Shohei Otani, DeGrom is doing what he's doing. There is so much excitement in baseball. And there, you, you know, we, uh, the MLB set a record for viewership in the first week of the season. MLB The Show came out on April 20th, if I remember right. And it was the top selling video game in April across the world. There, there's just, there's, there's no argument to be made that MLB and baseball as a whole is in a bad state of affairs. You know, they're making more money than ever. We're drawing in fans. We have this electric young core of talent just like lighting up the world, breaking records. And the MLB is just sitting there and just constantly trying to fix things. And it's like, you you know, how are we not just appreciative of where we're at and how are we at this state where we constantly are assuming that baseball's broken. It, it's just not. Baseball's wonderful, you know, and you think that the people who run the game are the ones who would appreciate this most. And it's just not the case. That 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 just makes me sad. It infuriates me. Yeah, no, it's well said. I, I really have nothing to add there. You're absolutely correct. And it is infuriating. So you know, a pedestal now. <laughs> that, no, but that, that's what you got to do, though, is you've got to kind of, you know, we're relatively young people. OK, I'm 28, relatively young. I'm 26. The, young people like baseball and, and you've got to let these guys like Fernando Tatis and so forth be them. That's what people like about it. That's like the new energy to the game. That's really exciting. Let them do their thing. That's what's going to bring. That's going to put fans in seats. You don't need to do something drastic. You know, I think every game undergoes tinkering and I think baseball is fine with that too, but it just seems like it's too frequent. Like you said, it's too much. It's every year. It's something like let's let some stuff marinate for a little bit. I'm not, I'm not like all in the old school. Like we should have, we should never change the game tinker with stuff. That's fine. But like not every single year, all the time, it's, it's too much. Like let it be for just a little bit. Right. Some other big news from this week is baseball reference made an announcement that uh, they are going to treat the Negro leagues as major leagues moving forward. This is a period from 1920 through 1948. Uh, So all Negro league stats will now be counted as part of their major league database. What I found was interesting is if you all follow Cespedes family barbecue on Twitter, uh, they were tracking like, who's going to be the 20,000th player in MLB history? Who's it going to be? And it ended up being, I think, Jose Godoy with the Mm -hmm. Mariners. Well, now that baseball reference has dropped uh, the Negro Leagues in, Godoy is now the (laughs) 22,394th player in Major League history. Um, And they went back and looked, and now the 20,000th player was Dustin Ackley. And he he debuted, what, like a decade ago, maybe more than that. So that's changed a little bit there. But – I mean, you know, this is just great news. I don't really have a lot to add. I think it's great. Uh, the Negro Leagues were always major leagues. It's good to see that be acknowledged. I don't know. Eli, do you have any thoughts here? Yeah. I'm, the one thing, well, so starting nine, a Barstool podcast that I really love, Dallas mm-hmm. Braden and Jared Carabas, um, that they, every time they do an interview, they ask somebody, if you could travel back in time and see like one moment in baseball history, what would it be? And you know, what I always kind of look at, you know, 
pretty much because everyone else has given these answers. And I think I heard this one time, but somebody said, I want to go back and I want to see Josh Gibson because there were a bunch of people in the major leagues who said that Josh Gibson could hit a ball further than anyone they had ever seen, ever met. Um, and, you know, they saw his stats come online and he ended up winning like five triple crowns in the Negro <laughs> leagues. You know, he was clearly just this incredible player. Um, and, you know, I, I love seeing some recognition of that. There was, you know, thousands of incredibly talented people who were excluded from the game of baseball because they were black and some acknowledgement of the talent they had, some acknowledgement of, you know, just their status as baseball players in history. Uh, I love to see that. And particularly looking at Josh Gibson's stats was absolutely amazing <laughs> to me. <laughs> um, and the fact he was a catcher, you know, he's a catcher with like a 200 OPS plus every single year just wild um so love to see it we tweeted it out from the podcast account on twitter and you know just we absolutely endorse this step forward and i think that uh baseball reference taking that leap uh it's great to see we support them entirely absolutely and baseball reference you know if you're listening to this podcast i'm sure you're familiar with baseball reference but if you're not it's like the Mecca of baseball data on the internet. Like if you want to know a stat about baseball, go to baseball reference. It, it can get a little overwhelming sometimes, but just play with the tools they've got on there. You'll figure it out um, as part of their kind of coverage of this, the, the Negro leagues are major leagues uh, event here. I don't know if it's an event, but an announcement, uh, Adam Jones wrote an essay for the website called a love story uh, where he basically kind of talks about his love of baseball and how he's come to learn about the Negro leagues. And I, I, I know that when, he was with the Orioles when they would go to Kansas city. I think he would make it like a point every time they were on a road trip to Kansas city to go to the Negro league museum there. Uh, you know, he's a huge advocate for it. And so go check that out as far, as far as like a, an Orioles related tangent to this story. Um, very cool stuff. Um, I think that's all we've got for stories this week or, or topics to cover. Uh, what we're going to do before we go is do guess that Oriole last week's answer was Hieronimo heel a little bit of a, a niche one there, not an Oriole for very long, not a very good player, but uh, I think, I think Brady got it on Instagram. He, he DM. He so. <laughs> it's just got that uh, Hieronimo heel has the most iconic name and it's not very often that you see the back of a Jersey that only has three letters on it. It's true. Uh, he definitely stuck out in my mind, I think, just because I loved his name when I was like six years old. <laughs> he was playing yeah. with us, you know. Yeah, he was definitely like the right era for us. Like, oh, yeah, that that backup catcher for two and a half seasons. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, and he looked like a catcher. He was like very he was very much a catcher of the era, too. I feel like you don't see those big catchers right. currently. Um, I can't okay. really think of any who have that kind of belly right now. No, like it was like the Benji Molina era. Right, <laughs> right. And they're just Benji not and Jose, if I remember right. Yeah, yeah. There, but and then Yadi is the only still, skinny one. Yeah, and he's still around 15 years later. Yeah. Um, okay, so this week's uh, Oriole. In case people aren't familiar, what we do is we give you three facts about a former Oriole, and then you can participate at home. You can just guess on your couch or in your car, wherever you're listening. Or you can tweet at us, Instagram us, Facebook us, whatever you'd like to do with your guesses. And if you get it right, we'll mention you on the show. All right. So the first fact about this week's Oriole, they debuted with the Orioles on October 4th, 1980. In 88, they were traded to the Red Sox for Brady Anderson and Kurt Schilling. Mm. And Rod Carew once called this person's pitch arsenal, quote, little league slop. I just love that. <laughs> yeah, that's I'd never heard that, that about this person. It was hilarious. Um, it may or may not have come from his Wikipedia page. I don't know. You'd have to <laughs> you'd have to check. But <laughs> we dig we dig deep on the research for right, uh, you know, for these. We uh, spend hours and hours <laughs> just looking for the best quotes. Exactly, and I think we got one there. That's pretty good. <laughs> Jesse, did did you listen a couple weeks ago when Jesse did one that was, or you might have been on the show that week? I'm not sure, but. He, his one quote was like, this guy stopped by the Baltimore City Rec Council yeah, yeah. one week. And I was like, I was Jesse, like, come on, come on. you got to make it a little more publicly available than that. But OK. Although he did say that he mentioned that. But then he also said that he had a facility named after him, okay, which is that's, a, it's a more. That's a good fact. fact. You know, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Um, okay, so so take your guesses there and let us know what your thoughts are. Next week, uh, we are going to talk about the games coming up. Well, here, I'll say that again. Before we go, let's talk about the games we've got coming up this week and give our predictions. The Orioles have got a series against the Toronto Blue Jays this weekend for three games and then three games against the Houston Astros. Uh, that sounds a little rough to me, Eli. Do you have any guesses as far as how the Orioles are going to perform in those six games? Well, one comforting thing is that the Blue Jays also suck at pitching. Um, one not comforting thing is that the Blue Jays have Vlad Guerrero and they're coming to our little tin can ballpark of Camden Yards. So uh, I expect to drop three there. And wow. I don't know. I don't know, man. It's, it's tough. It's just so hard to ever predict the win for the Orioles. And now <laughs> like we can't even say, Oh yeah, they'll win the John means game in the series because yeah. he's on the IL. So uh I don't know. We'll take one from Toronto just because I pity us. And then one from Houston, I guess. I, I, I <laughs> it's just depressing. They do. Um, they, have the, they have the pitching matchups for the Toronto series. Actually. Uh, it's going to be Robbie Ray versus Bruce Zimmerman on Friday on Saturday. It's going to be Alec Manoa against Dean Kramer. Who's Dean Kramer still looking for his first win of the year. And then Sunday is going to be Hin Jin Ryu versus Matt Harvey. So that's going to be rough. I think the Sunday ah, one. None inspire confidence. Uh, Alec no. Manoa is one of their top pitching prospects. He's gross. Yeah. I think the Zimmerman Ray matchup seems okay. I think that's the friendliest. Yeah. The Orioles have hit lefty pitching. Okay. This year, actually. Right. And Zimmerman is uh, not terrible. So. Right. Okay. I'll take, I'll take that one. One win versus <laughs> <Okay. Toronto. laughs> Yeah. I guess I'll say uh, that. I win. will not, I'm not wagering any more than like 13 cents on it, but right. We'll take a win there. Yeah. I don't know. I'll say, I'll say they go one and five. Like I've been pretty optimistic most of the time when we predict these, but I'm kind of past that point until the Orioles yeah. prove me, they can be like mediocre again. I'm just going to say they're like a one and five team in over six games. That's what I'm going to go with. Yeah, I'll take I'll, I'll take two and four. I'll okay. say one versus Houston too. I don't know who it's going to come against or what. But... <laughs> All right, that sounds good. I, I like it. Got to end on a just the littlest bit of optimism. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, if Jemai Jones gets called up, maybe things change. Mm. Maybe maybe he's worth a win or two. I don't know. Um, okay. That's all we've got for this week. What you guys can do to support the podcast is head to your preferred podcast platform, whether it be Spotify, Apple podcasts, or anything else and go and subscribe to us. And if you're able, please give us a rating. A five starting would be great. Then we can get into the ears of more Orioles fans. If you are not into subscribing to podcasts, maybe you could follow us on social media. We are on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at the warehouse pod. You can email us, thewarehousepod at gmail.com. If you have any questions or comments or things you'd like mentioned on the show, we would love to hear from you. Um, Eli, where can people follow you on uh, social? Uh, I'm on Twitter at Elijah Ginsburg, and I'm on Instagram at Ginzy55. Very nice. You can follow Jesse on Instagram and Twitter at Juggernaut8678. He never posts anything, but you can follow him anyway. Yeah, I, uh, I don't know why we even say his. <laughs> <laughs> it's just... Oh, he, he posts Instagram stories sometimes. So check those out. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at underscore Ty Young and at CamdenChat.com for Orioles related blog content. Um, all right. Next week, hopefully we're talking about maybe some better Orioles games. We'll recap those six games against Toronto and Houston. We'll have a new guest that Oriole and uh, yeah, anything else that pops up, we will mention. And uh, if there's something that we haven't mentioned on the show, but you want to hear about it, let us know. All right. Until next time, I am Tyler. I'm Eli. And this has been the Warehouse Podcast. Let's go O's.